Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing today? That was, that was kind of weak. I heard, a, I, I, heard a, I heard a cough over all the response. Like, how's everyone doing today? I'll walk over here and get a chair so it's less awkward. Well, I, I, that was supposed to be less awkward, but it made it a little more awkward. Listen, we're, uh, we're going through uh, Luke. We're going through the study of Luke. We've been going through it for over a year and a half, almost two years right now. As we started Church Project, we thought, what a better way to start a church than to look at a guy, Luke, who's written a gospel, and he's articulating who Jesus is, the life of Jesus, like how he walked the earth. And to model our church after that, I feel like that's a very good beginning, don't you? Let's look at the face of Jesus, and Scripture screams of Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so, church, today, as we look at this passage, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, is what we're going to be looking at today. If you do not have a Bible, it's important that you have one in front of you. So over on the lamps on the side are Bibles. If, if uh, you need one and you don't have one, take it. It's our, it's our gift to you. It's a cute little NIV style, and you, you'll have fun with that thing. But we believe in Scripture. We believe in the life of Scripture, and everything that we do, we want to be based off of Scripture. And so if you would, open it up. Uh, In the Bible, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's about midway through the Bible. And we're going to read these first 10 verses before we get going. Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Pretty graphic, huh? So watch out. Watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Verse 6. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and today we might as well say as small as an atom. If you have the faith the size of an atom, a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it will obey you. Verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourselves ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink? Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. May I repeat that last line? We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I'm going to pray for us this morning. God, I pray that these words are are articulated by you. I pray that in, in our hearts and in our minds, this passage will jump, that we will see you in this. We give you this time. Amen. So as we look at this, right away, we start off, and right away, I want to begin to pick apart a few words. Is that okay? As we look at this, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Have you found this true in your life? Are there things that are bound to come that will cause you to stumble? Or even opportunities to stumble? Like, Satan is alive, and Satan is active. 
If you wake up, opportunities to go and follow Satan are going to come your way. Opportunities to be selfish are going to come your way. And they're going to come your way in, in multiple ways. And sometimes, you know, you don't even understand what's happening. And all of a sudden you look up and you're like, okay, I'm being selfish. I'm being proud. I'm angry. I'm sorry. I know none of you get angry, but I do occasionally. Like there's, there's opportunities throughout our day. And they're bound to come. In fact, the world, see, Jesus tells us that Satan is trying to kill you, steal you, and destroy you. So do you think he's ever going to let off the gas pedal of coming after your life? No. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. So I had the opportunity last year to speak uh, at the 8th grade graduation of, of Day Spring um, Christian school here. My, my daughter was in 8th grade, and you know, I usually don't get nervous to speak. Um, like right now, I'm not too nervous. But for some reason, for that graduation, I was like, okay, cotton mouth. You know, I would wet my pants, all that stuff. It's like, you know, speak at this graduation. And I don't even remember what I said, but it, it was weird. And so we did that. And, and then afterwards, we all went to Laser Tag. You ever been to Laser Tag? There, there's a place in, in Loveland. I don't remember the name of it. But they have this new, this new room. And Well, it may not be new, but for me it is. It's this laser room. And you... you push a button and all of a sudden lasers go all around the room and the job is you know to kind of go through them without breaking a laser and you have to hit these little things and it's it's kind of fun and so I went in and I did the easy level and so you walk in this dark room and there's like two lasers I'm like are you a joke come on like I'm old and I can do this and so I get it and I do all these buttons and you know and then I move up a level but Zoe and all her friends I mean they're doing like the hard level there's like the easy level the hard level the expert level and then I like to call it I don't it wasn't called this but I like to call it the 007 James Bond level like you go in the room and it's like impossible like it's how are you going to make it through this like it's there see Satan is after us it's like that room. Like he wants to kill. He wants to steal. He wants to come between you and your spouse. He wants to make it so you are so stressed out about money that you just can't even sleep at night, that you fight, that you're short, that whatever it may be, Satan wants to come after you. And sure, it may start at the easy level, like here's a laser. Ha ha, Satan, you're a joke. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and it's like, bam, 007 level. He will even put people in our lives to pull you down. Family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. Like things that cause us to stumble are bound to come. Welcome to earth, Christians. Let me move on. It says, But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck. That's a heavy, heavy stone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. When it talks about the little ones here, it's talking about people that are Christians that just quite aren't mature yet. Brand new Christians. And Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa. That's an intense hardship, a disaster to you. If you cause one of these weaker brothers or sisters to stumble by your actions, do not be the person to cause other people to sin. Do not be that person. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's saying, woe to you. Don't, by your actions, cause one of these little ones to stumble. I am accountable for my influence on other people. Do you know that? We are accountable for our influence on other people. That scares me to death every time I sit here and every time I turn on this mic. I'm accountable for what I'm saying. 
Like we are running after God. And woe be to me if I cause a, a weaker brother or sister to stumble by my actions or by my stupid choice of words up here or whatever I do. Christians, this is a high calling. And it's a warning that Jesus has given us. Yet I can get I can get all casual and cavalier and calloused in my living and live how I want and I'm okay. Whoa, Christian, whoa, whoa. Watch out. We are the salt and light of the earth in Matthew 5, 13 and 14. Let's not lose our saltiness. Let's not lose our passion for Christ. Let's run after Christ in everything that we do. And let's encourage each other, spur each other on to love and good deeds. I say that a lot. Hebrews 5.10 or 10.24, whatever. It's one of my favorite verses. But that's what we're called to do. I'm dyslexic, so numbers, just always check up on my numbers, okay? That's what we're called to do, spur each other on to love and good deeds. And as Christians, if my actions are causing you to stumble in sin, I better question my actions, shouldn't I? Woe be to me. Watch out, so watch yourself. Let's go to verse 3 and through 5. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister... And, and this is really important. I, I want to emphasize this. The Greek word for this brother and sister is adelphos. I mispronounced it. But it means disciple. So if a disciple, and we're talking about Christians here, okay? So if a brother or sister, a disciple, um, if, if your brother or sister, a disciple, sins against you, ooh, this, nice, this next word is awesome, isn't it? What is it? What does your Bible say? Rebuke. What does that mean? in the church of America today. Rebuke them. And if they repent, if they repent, forgive them. And if they sin against you seven times in one day and seven times come back and say, and say I repent, you what? Must. Must. Forgive them. And I like the apostles because I would be like this in verse 8. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith rebuke. The church has lost this art. What, what does rebuke do? Well, there's a couple different things in Scripture. Matthew 18 is a great one. You can write that down and look through Matthew 18, example of what rebuke looks like in church. But here's, a, here's one I want to point out. 1 Corinthians 5, because I, I think this is kind of a weird one and a hard one. Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians 5, and he's saying, you judge the people inside your church. It's up to God to judge the people outside your church. Like as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's up to us to rebuke each other. And what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 5 is this. This church, they weren't just not rebuking this individual. They were approving what was going on in this individual's life. So the church at large was approving what was going on in this individual's life. And oh yeah, by the way, this individual was having sex with his mom. 1 Corinthians 5. Church. I've never come across someone, and I've done a lot of counseling over the last 15 years with, with, with couples that they're struggling with their marriage or whatever. I have never come across someone at the end of, a, of a, an affair that have said, this was worth it. I've never come across someone. In fact, the opposite. I've come across people at the end of their affair where they wish someone would have stepped in and someone would have said something at the very beginning. Church, speak up. Satan is out to kill us. 
Don't let sin creep into our lives. Don't let sin creep into the lives of this church. He will ruin you. He will ruin us. But oh yeah, we'll have a good Sunday morning gathering, happy, smiling. This is a big warning, church. If rebuke were to happen amongst believers, Christianity would look different today. It would. If we believe, if you and I believe that sin destroys, when we see a brother or a sister messing up, then we would rebuke them. We would rebuke them with love. We'd we'd go with them, not as an arrogant individual. We'd go with them in love and say, I'm very, very concerned about the way you're living your life right now. Because why? If you look at this passage, what does rebuke lead to? It leads them to repentance. And repentance is turning away from our own selfish desire and running after God. That sounds like a pretty cool deal to me. Whenever we can be used in the lives of brothers or sisters to strengthen their relationship with God, I say amen and sign me up for that. But some of us, we don't live in community. And we grew up in the church. We come every Sunday. We even tithe. Well done. But we don't live in community. And if we don't live in community, you're not around people who know you enough. House church, take a card. Get involved in house church. To be around people that know you, that you can be vulnerable with who they can look you in the eye and they can correct you lovingly and rebuke you and encourage you. I need that in my life. I am not perfect. I've had that multiple times in my life where I've sat down and someone just came to me out of love and said, Aaron, I'm concerned with the way that you're living your life right now. Do I appreciate it? Maybe in the long run. It stings. But man, oh, has God used people in my life to come and rebuke me in love. And I thank you for that. Church, Let's get busy. Let's get busy loving each other. Let's get busy calling greatness out of each other, calling Jesus out of each other. Amen? So because my daughters are in junior high and high school, um, our house gets TP'd. <laughs> this last one was really good, too. Like 80 feet in the air. I, I, it's going to be there all year unless someone has a lift and they can come get it out. I mean, it's just there. You know, but... Not this last time, but the time before, we got a warning from the parent. We're coming to your house. And I'm like, that's the best gift ever. They said, we'll be there at midnight. I'm like, this is even better. So I had, we had a sleepover with all the girls' friends, and we're just, ah. And they're getting all excited, dressing up in black. Like, we get our dog out there. We're hiding in the bushes and the, the cars. And, yeah, these guys show up to TPR house. And, you know, and, and I'm on the phone with the girls texting. I'm like, wait for it. Wait for it. Let them get a little done. You know, wait for it. Go! And as soon as we say go, like seven girls from all directions just come running. And these, these junior high guys sounded like junior high girls just ah! running and sprinting. And, and I got into it. I'm like, this is awesome. And so one dude starts running down the street and I'm chasing him. Ah! You know, I want to catch this little fart and I'm running. And, and out of nowhere, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, my 38-year-old legs just kind of went whoop. And I went Superman right in the middle of the street gravel like everywhere and everything and you know but I popped up and they would see me I'm cool you know walk out but I remember going back in and that 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 actually didn't hurt that much I knew the next part was really going to hurt though and it's when I went inside and I'm like okay I got to scrape all this stuff out like oh I had my girls up crying dad's crying in front of his girls I'm there 
They're like, suck it up. And I'm scraping my skin back and pouring that stuff on it. It burns and it hurts, but I know that's what I need, right? To heal this. Hurts, rebuke hurts, but man, it's worth it. And church, we got to believe that sin can destroy lives and love our brothers and sisters enough to speak that truth. Yeah, but what does it say in verse 4? This one is hard for me. We must forgive them. We must forgive them. This honestly is one of my weaknesses, and I'm, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. One of my weaknesses, that just this week alone, I, I've said to my wife, I'm done with them. Anyone ever done that? I'm done with them. You know, like pearls. I don't throw my, my pearls to swine or whatever. You get all proud. You get all arrogant. You, I mean, you can say this, but Jesus says, you must forgive them. And I'll go, but they should have known better. They're Christians, and they were stupid. And what, what am I saying every time I say that and think that? That I'm better than them? That I deserve it? Come on, Christians. Seven times in one day. Think about it. You would get bored with me. You'd get upset with me, angry with me if I came to you and asked for forgiveness seven times in one day over the same thing. You'd like, get a clue, slapping me. But we must forgive over and over and over again. So next time you see a Chinese, Chinese buffet or whatever, think of that as a buffet of forgiveness. Like we are supposed to forgive continually and all the time. And the disciples ask something right here. They're like, I'm so mad at this person, at these brothers and sisters, that I need help. Increase my faith to forgive. And then we get into verse 6. One of the most, uh, well, misinterpreted scriptures of, of all of, all of the, the Bible Oh, I missed important things. Let's back up. Is that okay? Back up a second. How can we forgive? It's because Ephesians 4.32, true love will forgive as you have been forgiven. And it's also this really famous prayer called the Lord's Prayer, which is also should be named the Disciples' Prayer. God, forgive us our sins as you have forgiven everyone who sins against us. If in doubt, if you're struggling with how to forgive, just meditate on God's grace in your own life. Because we can get so proud. We're like, oh, we're done forgiving. But all along forgetting that God has given us so much grace in our own life. That's how we can forgive, because we are forgiven. So the disciples ask God, this is a difficult thing. I get it. They say, increase my faith. And we get to one of the most misinterpreted scripture of all, of all the Bible, verse 6. You've probably heard this. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, again, as small as an atom, if you put it in today's context, right? You can say to this mulberry tree, and by the way, the priests at that time believed that the mulberry tree, their roots grew for 600 years, deep roots, like unmovable. So this is figurative language that they could understand. So you can say to that deep-rooted 600-year-old tree, this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. If you use this verse to make you happy, wealthy, and healthy, you're wrong. This is one of the joys about going through Scripture verse by verse because we have context. And this is an easy verse to just pick out and say, look, Jesus says I can be happy, wealthy, and healthy. Look right here. If I, if I believe something enough, then, then it'll come. And if it doesn't come, then I must not have enough faith. If you believe enough, I will get this job, then Jesus will do it for me. And that's not what this verse is saying. It's so far out of context. If you ever use this verse in that context, stop. You're wrong. Don't use it in that context. 
The faith you have in you right now as brothers and sisters is enough for you to accomplish the will of God in your life. Do you know that? The faith you have right now. See, Jesus has called all of us to greatness. He's given us spiritual giftings and talents. And he said, I have plans for you that are awesome to accomplish my will in your life. And sometimes we look at it and we say, God, I don't have enough faith. Like you've even, in in this context, the disciples said, how do I forgive him over and over and over again, increase my faith? And he says, you have enough faith to do that. You have enough faith to do my will, to do the things that I've asked you. Here's an illustration for you. Faith is focusing on God. Okay, faith is focusing on God. There's been times in my life that the best I can do is look through a peephole at God. Little tiny Adam, little tiny mustard seed. Look, look, at, look at God, there he is. But faith is God. But there's also been times in my life when that same door illustration, I've been able to look at him through half a glass, you know, like top half is glass, bottom half is wood. And I'm like, there, keep my eye focused on God. And it's just easier. There's times where it's like a full glass, like totally I'm focused on God. See, here's the deal. It's not great faith you need. It's faith in a great God. I'm going to say that because I got amen, so we'll repeat that. It's not great faith you need. It is faith in a great God. Amen. Mature followers get this. People that have been following God for a while get this. He has done amazing things in my life, things that I cannot explain. His way, on his timing. Some of them just don't even line up with my Baptist thinking. I'm like, God, can you move like that? He's like, Aaron, I could do whatever I want. And I've given you enough faith to accomplish and do everything I've asked of you. And I look at that, and I say, God, thank you for giving me enough faith that I can rebuke people who live, I live in a community with, because that's hard to do. It's not natural for any of us. But Jesus says, I've given you the ability to do that. As Christ followers, it's simple. The same spirit that lived in Christ lives in us. We have all the faith that we need. So stop using faith to get a new car. Use faith to live how Jesus has commanded you. And that's beautiful. Let's go down to verse 7 through 10. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing and looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come, come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. The Greek word for master is Adonai. And it's a plural. It's like Lord, Lord, Adonai. Some of us, we, in, our, in our walk with Jesus Christ, we, we've walked up to the altar to get married, and we've said, I do to Jesus at the altar. And then we've turned, and we've just really, that was it. I do, God. And all along, he's saying, no, no, it's not, I, I do, I will. Here I am. I am your servant. Adonai, you are my master. Lord, Lord. He is the master, not us. And we look at these verses, 7, 8, 9, 10. After we've done all we can, we say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. 
And some of us, we get so proud in this whole Christian faith. We say, look at all I've done. Look at all the money that I've given. Look how good I live my life. And Jesus is saying, I didn't really, live, I didn't really die. This whole thing's not about just you being a moral person. I didn't die for your morality. I died to be your master. I died to give you love and hope and peace through me. Often, I'll say to the leaders of Church Project and people that help us set up and tear down and all that stuff, I'll come up to them and say, thank you. Jason Perman really doesn't like this when I say thank you. He'll be like, it feels weird that you're thanking me. And I get it. Like, I, I, I want to show him, hey, I appreciate what you're doing. But really, he's not doing it for me. So why would I thank him anyways? Right? But I still want to do that, and I'll still do that. It's just being polite and saying, hey, thank you guys for moving together as church project. But here's what we should say, right? I mean, it should, it should, we are unworthy servants, and we're only doing our duty. Like what God has given us to do. Tom Wright is a commentarian. Did I say that right? And, and, and this is something he said that I came across in my studies this week. All genuine service to God is done from gratitude, not to earn anything at all. Because we understand what God has done for us and we're so thankful. That's where our works, that's where our doing comes from. It's like, God, thank you, thank you. I am your servant. And then I have to read this quote because I couldn't get rid of it. It's from Max Lucado. So what Max Lucado says. There are, few, there, there are times when we, as brothers and sisters, disciples, are called to love, expecting nothing in return. Times when we are called to give money to people who will never say thanks, to forgive those who will ne- won't forgive us, to come early and to stay late when no one else notices. Service prompted by duty. This is the call of discipleship. bottom line is, Jesus, I'm just thankful that you know me. I am just thankful that you allow me to be in your house. I'm just thankful that you have allowed me to serve you. Are you? Are you looking at the face of your king and master and with gratitude saying, thank you, God. Thank you for this. Thank you for this grace because I don't deserve this. And when I get so proud not to forgive my brothers and sister, slap me in the face two times. Not three, two. Wake me up. Do you exist to do the Lord's business or yours? Bottom line, do you exist to do the Lord's business or yours? Don't expect some great reward for what you do in faith, because here it is. God is actually the one at work in your life. Doing what you've prayed for. I mean, think about it. At your work, when things start going well, it's easy for us to go, look what we've done. At church project, when, when the church starts growing and more people coming, we're like, oh, look what we've done. In our families, when everything's going great and, and our kids are just not TP in everyone's house, we're like, thank you for what you've done. Look at me. It's not about us. It's about the work of the Lord in our life, in our jobs, in our family, in our hearts, and serving our master. So I say to this, let's go. I say, let's go, church. Let's be continual forgivers. 
as Christ has forgiven. The English language has this weird thing called the subjunctive verb. And it's like past and future tense. Like, let's, let's continue to be forgivers. No, let's just be forgivers. Be. Continually with our entire life. Let's get busy doing the Lord's work, driven by his love and driven by grace. Let's stop being ineffective in our own church. Like We need to love each other, and we need to know that sin can destroy. We need to be in community and be honest and vulnerable and speak life into each other. Let the Holy Spirit move in us. Let's quit doing a little bit for Jesus and then sitting down and saying, God, now what can you do for me like a Santa Claus? That verse back in 6 is not about saying, if I believe it enough, something's going to come. It's about Jesus saying, if you have enough faith, you'll be able to do everything I've asked you to do. Will today be the day you say, I exist for Jesus? I'm going to ask us to close our Bibles And now it's time for God to work on you. If you would, close your eyes. If you're comfortable with it, hold your hands out in front of you and just in a submissive way, just say, God, here is my life. In this place today, would you continue to speak to me? Church, when we get and we begin to understand how much God loves us despite us, despite our actions, it's humbling, isn't it? But yet God continues to love Aaron Havens. Continues to forgive me for everything I've done wrong and everything I will do wrong. He says, just stay focused on me. I am I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. I keep focused on me. The circumstances around you, they may be hard to trust me, but you can trust me. I'm going to move in your life. I've given you everything you need in life. Just keep my eyes focused on him. Church, quietly to yourself, can you just pray that? God, please help me focus on you. I'm so sorry for focusing on anything other than you with my life. We see in the news all the time people that have tried to live life on their own, proud, arrogant. Great men and women and even ministry Christians fallen drastically because they're not allowing people to speak into their lives. Church, that won't be us. Ask God to impress upon your heart to get in community, to give you the time to get into community, to let you know the importance of community, vulnerability, honesty. And church, some of us need to pray that when it's time, out of love, we can speak to our brothers and sisters and rebuke them and call them to greatness because we love them and we hate sin.
God, in our hearts this morning, would we, number one, get and understand your love for us, your grace for us, how much you've done for us. And may that move us and drive us to be willing to serve you till our last day. And when that serving looks hard, like rebuking a brother or sister or going out in faith on stuff, God, may we continue to focus on you that you'll get us through to accomplish everything that you want to do. I'm going to ask us, if you would, to stand and we'll continue to reflect on God. And in this place, there's multiple ways that that we can worship God. Some of us, it's just standing there quietly, just with our, just with our hands open and, and just talking with God. Some of us, it truly is that we're going to sing praises because we know this love. We know this God. Other ways that we can continue to worship him is in the back left when you walked in as a tithe box. Yes, that's a way, an act of worship to tithe, to give back to God. So some of us, it's that. Some of us, it's sitting down and praying. For some of us, it's writing on our response card, let what God's doing in our hearts, prayer requests. For some of us, it may be going and grabbing someone in here and saying, please pray with me. Like, pray with me, please. Like, in this place is a time for you to respond to who Jesus is. I'm gonna ask us as we go through these next couple songs, if you have a a child in, in the Project Kids area, If when you're ready after this song, quickly go and take your tag and retrieve your child and come back in here and let's worship together as a family of Christ. Because it's a beautiful thing when we look at Jesus' face, isn't it?